your Bibles, if you would turn to the book of 2 Peter, chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 5 to 11. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and the guys are already walking up and down the aisles to give you a Bible so you can follow along with us. I asked Joey to do announcements this morning, and, and he said, all right, I'll do it. And then we gave him to first service, and he chickened out. So I said, <laughs> all right. I knew one pastor that, that before he was teaching, before he was pastoring, he was asked to do announcements, and he came about halfway up the aisle, and he like, turned around and just walked out the door. Like this. <laughs> just, you know, it's that stage fright you get, I guess, but <clears throat> he doesn't know that you're always nervous, and you're always freaked out, and so you just, just go for it, so... Anyway, we're in Second Peter chapter 1 this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 5 through 11. If you turn there, we'll go ahead and read it. Starting in verse 5, Peter writes, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Tell my study this morning is add to your faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together, Lord, to be in your word and to be in this place where we're ready to receive, to, to ready to hear from your Holy Spirit to our hearts. Lord, we thank you for how powerful your word is and how as we heed it, Lord, you change our lives, you change our hearts. And that's our, our prayer this morning. We also pray, Lord, if there's anyone that has joined us that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you, they're not born again today. Lord, we pray that they would be, that they would see their need for a Savior, turn from their sin and turn to you today. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this sweet time of worship. And now, Lord, bless our time of study of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we are a culture that really is obsessed with being in good shape. You know, we, we exercise regularly. We do those crunches to stay in shape. I want you to know that I do 100 crunches every single day. Captain Crunch with Crunch Bears. They're about this big and they're just... Okay. I don't eat those. They're not good for me. I don't eat those. But, you know, we try to, we try to stay in shape. We try to, you know, count our calories. I found this. this if you're dieting... Ten important facts about counting calories. Number one, if you eat something, but no one else sees you eat it, it has no calories whatsoever. <laughs> Number two, when drinking a diet soda while eating a candy bar, the calories in the diet soda cancel out the calories in the candy bar. So no calories there. When you eat with someone else, calories don't count as long as you don't eat more than they do. So it's wiped out there. Foods used for medicinal purposes never count. Like hot chocolate, you know, if you're going through a hard time, that doesn't count. Toast, Sara Lee's cheesecake doesn't count. If you fatten up everyone else around you, then you look thinner. I like this one. Movie-related foods 
do not have calories because they are part of the entertainment package and not part of one's personal fuel. For example, milk duds, butter popcorn, junior mints, and tutti rolls, no calories. Number seven, cookie pieces contain no calories. See, when you break them apart, it causes the, the calories to leak out, so no calories. Number eight, late night snacks have no calories. The refrigerator light is not strong enough for the calories to see their way to the calorie counter. Number nine, if you're in the process of preparing some, something, food licked off knives and spoons have no calories. Peanut butter on a knife, ice cream on a spoon, no calories. Finally, number 10, food of the same color have the same number of calories. So you can eat spinach and pistachio ice cream, same number of calories. Mushrooms and white chocolate. And, and chocolate is a universal color and may be substituted for any other color. Well, if I based my diet on those ideas, I don't think I would lose any weight whatsoever. If I want to lose weight, I want to stay in shape, diet, exercise, you, you take in the, the spiritual supplements, you know, you, you take the protein powders or you take the vitamins and all of those things. And, 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 and often we supplement our diets with vitamins and minerals so we can stay in shape. Listen, we think nothing of, of taking these supplements to strengthen our lives physically, but what do we do to strengthen our lives Spiritually, what supplements do you take to help you grow spiritually? Well, this morning, if you're taking notes, we're going to look at some of these things. Number one, we have two points this morning. Number one, spiritual supplements. And number two, spiritual growth. So the result of a spiritual supplement will be spiritual growth. Let's look at some of these spiritual supplements. Now, we've looked at last week that when we come to Christ, the Lord gives us strength to live godly lives, lives well-pleasing to Him, we get that the moment we're born again. We get a new nature. We get the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. In fact, according to verse 3 here in chapter 1, God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. We looked at last time how the Lord has given us a purpose, a power, and a precious and precious promises. We have the purpose to, to share the gospel and to live for Christ as long as we're here on this earth. We have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to accomplish our purpose in life. And we have God's word, his precious promises uh, to live by. Well, then Peter adds now, look at verse 5, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith. That phrase, giving all diligence, is the idea of making every effort, taking your walks seriously, making this a priority. Why? Because of all that God has done for us. Now I want to do for Him. I want to give to Him my very best effort in everything that I do. That's why Peter says, add to your faith. Now you may ask, well, how can I add to it if we've already been, already been given everything that we need? Well, see, actually that word add means to supplement. Or another way of looking at it is to lavishly supply to your faith. It means don't hold anything back. Now, it was actually, the, the, the phrase was actually used during the, the Greeks when they would put a play together. And they would, uh, there would always be a financial backer to back the play who funded the production. And so the budget would be set for, for all the actors and all the actresses and all the singers and, and the instrument players. And, and, you know, they were paid based off of that budget. But here's where the word ad comes in. A generous backer would come along and say, here, take this 
and, and, and lavishly supply whatever you need to make this a really great production. Now understand, our Lord is our generous backer. He is our supplier of our supplements. He, and He has an unlimited stash. And now He says, take these resources that you've been given and use them to lavishly go along with your faith. It's as if you're maybe a single lady here this morning and you're going to get married and your dad is, is going to pay for the reception, the wedding, the honeymoon, everything. But your dad also happens to be Bill Gates, billionaire Bill Gates. And so he says, you sweetie, I love you so much. You do whatever you want for your, your wedding, your reception, honeymoon. It's all on me. You know, hold back, no expense. Listen, with a dad like that, you're not going to go to the dollar store to get decorations for the reception, are you? You know, you, you know, you're not going to have your reception at the VFW hall either. Why? Because dad is going to lavishly supply what you need from his bank account. In the same way, you're not going to go down to Motel 6 in Branson for your honeymoon. In fact, you're going to go to the Isa de Seferadura of the islands of Spain. I read this. One day at this resort would cost daddy around $42,000. Just a day at the resort. Nothing. A drop in the bucket for billionaire old dad. You see, my point is this. Dad has made all of that available to you and he wants you to use it. Add to your wedding all the best things I have given to you. You see, you just have to use it. Apply what God has already supplied. That's what Peter is saying here. Take what God has made available in Christ to you. Lavishly supply to your faith. Don't hold anything back. And he gives us a list of seven things that, they, that he's encouraging us to add into our lives, to, to be a part of our lives, that he wants to just pour out into our lives. And the very first thing on the list, if you're taking notes, number one is that of virtue. Look at verse 5 again. It says, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Now, virtue, is a, it's a, a rare word. I, I looked it up and it's used in all sorts of ways. It means moral excellence. It means courageous. It's a noble term meaning heroism or moral heroism. It's a quality of someone's life which makes them stand out as excellent. In classical times, it, the word meant the God-given ability to perform heroic deeds. In other words, you're a superhero of morality. Moral excellence man, you know, or, or moral excellence woman, you know, you got the cape on and you got, you know, the whole outfit and thing. And uh, I mean, think about this. What do superheroes have in common? Super strength that no one else has. Peter's saying God has given you superpower. It's moral excellence. So use it. Superpower through his Holy Spirit to use it. That means that the darkness of our culture, as portrayed in the movies that we see, or on TV, or the internet, or the lyrics that we listen to in the songs, or even the questionable jokes people say at work, they should have no place in our lives. We resist it like Superman resisting a bullet. You know, it, it doesn't happen. It's also worth noting that, that the word uh, virtue is, is active. It means we're always ready to stand up for what is right. Man, in a world that has quickly become as immoral as Sodom and Gomorrah, God has given us everything we need to live and moral excellence. You know, Superman stood up for stood for what? Truth, justice, and the American way. We're truth, justice, and, and the Jesus way. Man, we stand up for morality, stand up for what is right. Well, the next supplement, Peter says, we need to add after virtue is knowledge. Look again at verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge. So the Lord is saying here, I've given you faith, I've given you virtue, 
Now I've also given you the ability to attain knowledge. This is all available to you. Now this word knowledge means insight and understanding. Now why would Peter add virtue before knowledge? You think it would go the other way around. But here's the thought. If my mind is cluttered with pornography and violence from movies and, and song lyrics that are, that are vile things, then I won't be able to receive the knowledge about life from the Word of God because I've filled my life with the junk food that's in this world. And what happens when you fill your life with, with junk food? You get sluggish. You know, you don't want to do anything. You know, you, instead of vitamin supplements that give you energy, you, you, you've eaten Twinkies and Ding-Dongs and Ho-Hos and, and cupcakes and you're just sitting there going, oh, I don't want to move. just want to sit here. And, 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 and you're no longer living a spirit-filled life. You're no longer living a powerful life. You're not growing in the knowledge because you've not allowed yourself to get, or rather you've allowed yourself to get out of shape spiritually to you're no longer experiencing the things or the new things from the Lord. You're living off of past experiences. And it's one old story after another old story about what God did years ago in your life, but never anything new about what God is doing right now. Because you've filled yourself up with other things, that you're not where you should be or where, you, where God would have you to be. You see, moral excellence or virtue is that which makes room for us to take in the Word of God and gain knowledge and understanding of our Lord and, and, and the Lord, uh, you know, and, and experience the Lord powerfully in our lives day to day. This knowledge that's spoken of here is a practical wisdom to deal with the day to day issues of life that we can, can deal with as we look to God's Word. In context here, it means you're cooperating with God by following His wisdom rather than the wisdom of the world. But the only way to do that, uh, you know, do away with the things of this world, is, is to, do it, to do it this way. So we have to have virtue. We have to have knowledge. Then the next two supplements, Peter says in verse 6, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance. Two very important inward characteristics that we need to supplement in our lives apply to our lives. Number three is the word self-control. One definition I heard of self-control is this. Self-control is the capacity to break a chocolate bar into four pieces with your bare hands and then just eat one piece. That's self-control if you're a chocolate lover. Listen, when it comes to self-control, we're told in Proverbs 25, 28, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. They're just crumbling all over the place. Proverbs 16.13 puts it in a more positive way. Righteous lips are the delight of the kings, and they love him who speaks what is right. Self-control. To have self-control. What does it mean? It's a Greek word that means, means to hold oneself together. It spoke of an athlete who would say no to eating certain kinds of foods and, and yes to certain kinds of trainings because he wanted to win the race. He wanted to stay in shape. I like the story about a man who was observing a woman in the grocery store with her three-year-old little girl in the basket. And as they passed the cookie section, the little child asked for cookies and her mother told her no. The little girl immediately began to whine and, and fuss and the mother said quietly, now Ellen, we just have half of the aisles left to go through. Don't be upset. It won't be long. Well, he passed the mother again, this time on the candy aisle. And of course, the little girl began to cry and shout for candy. And when she was told she couldn't have any, she cried all the more. And the mother said, there, there, Ellen, only two more aisles to go, and then we'll be checking out. Well, the man happened to be behind the pair at the checkout, where the little girl immediately began to cry for gum and, and burst into a terrible tantrum upon discovering that there would be no gum purchased today. 
The mother patiently said, Ellen, we'll be through this checkout stand in five minutes and then you can go home and have a nice nap. Well, the man followed them out to the parking lot and stopped the woman to compliment her. And he says, I couldn't help noticing how patient you were with little Ellen. Well, the mother broke in, my little girl's name is Tammy. I'm Ellen. (laughs) Just two more aisles. That's all I have to go. (laughs) One more aisle, then I can have a nap. Now, why is self-control added to knowledge? Because as I gain knowledge, if I'm not very careful, I will begin to say, well, now that I have knowledge about this, I can handle it. In fact, I can handle anything because I have knowledge. Be careful. Be careful. John Corson tells a story about a dear pastor friend of his who had been used mildly by the Lord, but began to say, my studies have convinced me that Jesus drank alcohol. And he went on to develop an extensive argument for why Christians should be able to drink. This led him and his wife to wine-tasting events, which led them to nightclubs, which led them to dancing with other people, which led them to divorce. John Corson writes, In the name of knowledge, this dear brother sacrificed self-control and lost his family and ministry as a result. Peter warns us here that as we add knowledge, we must be sure not to get so caught up in that knowledge that we become a know-it-all And think that we have the liberty to indulge in certain things that now we can handle those things that we couldn't handle before because of this newfound knowledge. Listen, it doesn't matter how long you've walked with the Lord, even though we're born again, and even though we have that new nature. As long as we're in these bodies, we are going to struggle, we are going to wrestle with our flesh, with our old nature. And on top of that, we have that old adversary, the devil, who's out to get us, and he'll constantly use things in this world to appeal to our old nature. He will appeal to our flesh every chance that he gets. Satan would like nothing better than to see you and I get out of control as a Christian. To lose it. You know, just, oh, I can't believe it. Just go out of control. But understand, again, God has already told us. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. He has given us that power, that ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to not lose control. It's already ours. It's already ours. He's given us a new nature one under the control of the leading of the Holy Spirit that is in direct opposition to our old sinful nature. So how do we gain control over that old flesh and our old nature? It's not by more knowledge. It's by doing what we know. Putting to death your members which are on the earth, Paul tells us in Colossians 3, 5. Putting to death that old nature. Putting to death that, that old ways you used to do things. Walking in that newness of life. Or today, daily, day, daily, die daily, to ourselves and bring our lives into complete submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit is seeking to do in our lives. To show us how to live our lives marked by not only self-control, but joy and stability and, and, and knowledge and virtue and perseverance. In fact, that's the next virtue we need to lavishly apply, the next supplement we need to implement. Number four, perseverance. That word perseverance means patient endurance. Patient endurance. You know, one of the things that you learn pretty quickly as soon as you come to the Lord is that there's no shortcuts to spiritual growth. You know, you don't get strong physically just by deciding to work out for one day. All right, I'm going to work out today. I'm going to be strong tomorrow. In fact, I found this picture I thought was funny. It's called a seven-second workout. This guy's lifting 1,000 pounds while jogging 20 miles per hour on a 50% inclined treadmill. 
Well, don't you wish you could do that and then just the next, in seven minutes, that's it, you're all built up. No, you'd be dead. I mean, I'd be dead. You don't get strong spiritually either by one day deciding to come to church. Spiritual growth does not happen overnight. You need to put the work into it. There's no such thing as, as fast food Christianity. I think we can look at someone that we admire in the Lord, someone that's mature in the Lord, and, and we want to be like them. Oh, man, look, look, they seem godly. I mean, they're used by God. And we forget that takes time and work and discipline. There's a, a great guitar player that, that I admire a lot. His name is Doyle Dykes. And a classical guitar player, just incredible guitar player. Um, very talented. I, I'm going to look and see about bringing him here to the church because he goes to different churches. But, but I, one of the times that, that I saw him play, he recalled a story of when a woman came up to him after one of his concerts and, and said to him, I, I wish so much I could play the, the guitar just like you. What is your Secret? Secret? He motioned her closer to him. He says, here's the secret. Practice. Practice. And practice some more. No one just picks up a guitar for the first time and plays like Doyle Dykes. But that's a problem in our culture today. We want everything right now. Right away. I, I, want, to be, I want this right now. I want super spirituality right now. We live in a society that says, I, I, you know, if I have to wait more than a nanosecond for something to come up under my computer, I'm clicking to some other website. I'm frustrated. On some other thing. And I say we do the same thing spiritually. You know, we don't have that, that perseverance. We see it every year when, when a new men's or women's study gets started up. And it's going great. Man, we got all these ladies and guys are coming out. What a great tournament. This is great. By the time towards the end of the year, March, April, May, you know, kind of you start, maybe a half as many people as you started with, you know, maybe three quarters of them have started. Why? Because click something else, click something else, click, you know, just moving to different things. What is lacking in the supplement, is, is, what is lacking is a supplement of, of perseverance. Perseverance. Lavishly add perseverance. It's the Greek word hupomone. Again, it means patient endurance. Same word used in Hebrews chapter 12 describing Jesus. For who, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That word endured, uh, hupomone. It, it describes not a passive, barely making it endurance, but a conquering, victorious endurance. That's what Jesus was doing at Calvary. Jesus conquered death. He conquered the grave, and he conquered sin. He patiently endured the cross. At any time, he could have said, I'm done. That's it. I'm getting off the cross. I'm not going to do it. But he didn't. He endured the cross. He persevered. Why? Because of the joy that was set before him. That joy is you. That joy is me that we could be saved, that we could go to heaven, we could be with Him, that He would pay the penalty of our sin upon that cross. That's why we need to clothe ourselves with patient endurance, because He did. And the other thing is, we know what's on the other side. So as we suffer and we you know, maybe get weary, we can have hope because we know that, that in our patience, eventually we're going to be in heaven. That's why Paul writes in Galatians 6, 9, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Now, number five of our supplements, he says in verse 6, to perseverance, godliness. Now, godliness here means God-likeness. In the original Greek, the word meant to worship well. It describes a person who's worshiping the, the Lord well. It's someone who is walking right in their relationship with God. I think the word reverence might be a, a better 
term to define that, that it's a quality of an inner character that causes a person to live above the petty things of this life. The, the, the passions and the pressures that control the lives of others. It's remembering uh, why you do what you do. That everything that you do, every way that you live, is for the glory of God. You're living your life to please Him. Not just because, you know, I want to be a better person, a better husband, a better wife. That's all secondary. But first and foremost, my desire is to please the Lord and to glorify the Lord. In other words, everything I do is going to go through the filter in my life where I say, okay, what does God think when it comes to this? Will this please Him if I do this? Will this glorify Him if I act this way or say this thing or do this thing or go to this place? Does this draw me closer to the Lord? If not, then we need to not do there. We do that. We need to not go there. Again, this goes back to moral excellence. If I am adding to my faith godliness, then going to certain movies that are out, I'm not going to do. Or hanging out with certain people that bring me down, I'm not going to do. Or going to some new bar and grill because they have some new drink, you know, alcoholic drink. I'm not, it's not going to be an option for me. Why? Because I want my life marked by godliness. Now, if you're seeking to live a godly life, then you're going to seek to do the will of God. And as you do, it naturally leads to brotherly kindness. And that's the next supplement, number six, verse seven. Add to that uh, godliness, brotherly kindness. Now, this one, we, I think we've looked at before, you know, brotherly kindness. It basically is brotherly love. It, it, it's the word Philadelphia in the Greek. It, it's, it certainly is a virtue that Peter I think Peter had to learn the hard way. I think some of his disciples had to learn the hard way. You know, think about some of the stories about the twelve. They hang out all together all the time. I don't think they always got along together uh, all the time. I think of when, uh, in Luke chapter 9, verse 46, that the dispute rose among them as to which of them would be the greatest. And you can picture them all hanging around going, oh, I'm going to be the greatest in God's kingdom. No, I think I'm going to be the greatest in God's kingdom. Well, I'm going to be the greatest. And they're going back and forth. Disputing among one another. Now, I'm not saying they didn't have brotherly kindness towards one another, but sometimes that can happen. And we need to have that brotherly kindness towards one another. And the point is that the Bible teaches if we love Jesus Christ, then we must have a love for one another. We learned that in 1 Peter 1.22, when we're told that we are to have a sincere love of the brethren and to love one another fervently with a pure heart. That's what Peter's saying here, the same thing. Hebrews 13.1, let brotherly love continue. So don't just do it one time. I loved them once, but now I'm done with them. I'm not going to love them again. No, we keep loving them over and over again. Romans 12.10 tells us, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. 1 John 5.1 uh, and 2 tells us that when we love our brothers and sisters in Christ, it's evidence that we're born again. Now here's the thing. Coming this, this, the 18th of this month, I would have been pastoring here at this church 19 years. I can't believe it. I started when I was five years old. Um, no. <laughs> but I've noticed that the most loving people are the ones that are the most involved. That's not to say that if you're not involved, you're not loving. It's just that from my perspective, I only see you once a week. It's hard for me to get to know you to see that you're a loving person. Here's my point. It's impossible to establish relationships in the church to have this brotherly love one for another, if you get here right before service starts and you're out the back, out the back, you're, you're gone as soon as the, the, you know, the worship last song begins. You know, you need to come more than just Sundays if you can. You need to hang out and see 
you know, who the Lord would have you talk with and share with and get to know and build these relationships so you can share that brotherly love one with another. Because we're a family. As a family, we enjoy one another. And we can help one another and encourage one another. That's a, the brotherly kindness that we want to be able to show to one another. But you've got to be around so we can show, show you the brotherly kindness. That brings us to our last supplement needing to apply. Number seven, add to brotherly love, kindness. No, add to brotherly kindness, love. Now this is God's agape love. Agape love, it's the love of the cross. It's a, it's a, it's a sacrificial love. I like that the list of seven things ends with love. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and now abide faith, hope, love, these three, these three, but the greatest of these is love. We started with faith. Add to your faith. And he ends with love. Love is the greatest of these things. And yes, we should have love for one another. But listen, we should have love for all men. All women. We certainly should have the love that the Lord Jesus had for the lost. Jesus Love the lost. Sometimes, you know, we can watch programs and, and we can see things and go, oh, man, they're, they're stinking sinners. And, 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 and we, we get this, you know, we lose the love in their hearts. We, we don't see that they're blind and they're lost. Jesus, we need to have the same love that Jesus had for the lost. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. And if we are one of His, if we've supplemented our lives with godliness and brotherly love, then we would look at the world the same way our Lord did. A harvest is just ready to be gathered, ready to be plucked, so that it's just on the verge of being saved, and we just need to come and give them that, that offer to come to Christ. Share with them the gospel. You'll have that same heart that the Lord's have uh, towards the world, seeing people come to know Him as Lord and Savior, seeking to glorify His name. You'll have a love for your brother and sister in the Lord, you'll, you'll generally have a love for the lost and you realize all that God has done for you and I. So we need to lavishly apply these seven things, virtue and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. And the Lord will be faithful to bring about spiritual growth. See, each one of these supplements leads to the other. You can't look at these and go, well, I'll take the self-control. I'll work on that one. I'll, uh, you know, the virtue. I, I like the moral excellence. I like being But these other ones, I don't know. No, they're all linked together. It's like, like Christmas lights, you know. They're all linked together. They all got to be on at the same time. So, if you have faith, that faith will produce a life of virtue. And if you have that moral excellent life virtue, that will lead to knowing God better, knowledge. And when you know God better, you'll become more self-controlled. And when you're more self-controlled... You'll be able to persevere under the hardships, under the load better. And when you do that, you become more godly. And that leads to genuine care and kindness towards other people and a sacrificial love like Jesus had. And then that means growth. They're all connected. And that brings us to our final point. Number one, spiritual supplements bring number two, spiritual growth. Look at verse eight. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what Peter's saying. The more we grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the more we stay committed to the study of His Word, the more we stay committed to loving our brothers and sisters, loving the lost, the result is God is going to pour out into your life and my life opportunity after opportunity to be used by Him, to glorify Him with your life. Second Chronicles 16.9 tells us, 
For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. The eyes of the Lord are looking for laborers, looking for, for those whose hearts are loyal to Him. And if you're loyal to the Lord, it's going to bring practical, practical result, results in your life. If we are using these resources that God has already given to us, these precious promises, if we're walking in promises and putting to use these seven things the Lord lavishly supplies, then in God's mathematics, your adding equals abounding, is what He says here. Again in verse 8, for these things are yours and abound, you'll be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I like that he gets to the to, to bearing fruit or, or unfruitful. He uses the illustration of a fruit-bearing tree. You're like a fruit-bearing tree that has been planted in the most favorable conditions possible. If these things are yours and abound, you'll, you, your tree won't be barren. There'll be fruit. Actually, that word for barren also means idle. You'll be neither idle or unfruitful. In other words, a person who loves the Lord in this way, you're not going to be sitting around doing nothing. I mean, you know, you're not going to just be happy you're saved and happy. You're going to be busy serving Christ. You're going to be busy. And the result of the busyness in serving Christ is fruit. Well, Peter goes on, verse 9, to us that those who are not living their lives to the fullest, with all these things that God has lavishly supplied, he says in verse 9, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. He's forgotten where he's come from. He's forgotten what God has done for him. The word short-sighted means they can't see the danger far ahead. Even to blindness means they're living in darkness rather than light. You know, nutritionists tell us that, that there are certain foods that you can eat that actually can affect your, your vision, your, you know, your, your eyesight. I think this is especially true in the spiritual realm. If we're only eating the junk food of this world again, it's going to cause more and more blindness. Picture somebody, you know, walking down the street and their eyes are squinting. They're trying to walk, you know, but they're tripping over things. They're, 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 they're not able to, to, to move. And that's what Peter's painting here. Picture for us someone trying to make progress while they're squinting. Eventually, eventually you're going to stumble, you're going to fall, you're going to fail. But someone who's ever, uh, ever growing, ever expanding, adding and ever content with stopping can see where he's where he's come from, and can see where they're going. They have a focus. They have a purpose. I like what Warren Wiersbe says concerning this verse. If we forget what God has done for us, we will not be excited to share Christ with others. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been purged and forgiven. God has opened our eyes. Let's not forget what he has done. Rather, let's cultivate gratitude in our hearts and sharpen our spiritual vision. Life is too brief and the needs of this world too great for God's people to be walking around with their eyes closed. Finally, Peter says in verse 10 and 11, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. In other words, go for it more, letting people see you're truly born again. You're, you're, you're going to have it. He says, for if you do these things, you will never stumble, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what's the reward for training hard, for applying these supplements to our, our faith, for living for Christ to the fullest? An abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, the Greeks used this term, abundant entrance, to describe an, an Olympic, Olympic athlete who came back into their hometown 
and they would be greeted with this abundant entrance, they called it. The whole town would show up, you know, a ticket tape parade, you know, and, and, and there'd be songs that would sung and, and cheers would go out and, 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 uh, and it was just this abundant welcome. When I read this and I think about this, I, you know, I can't help but think of the abundant entrance that Billy Graham had into the kingdom of God. I mean, his funeral was, if you, can't, if you can get a copy of, of his kids sharing at his dad's funeral, it was amazing. And the things that they shared, I mean, it just touches your heart. But to think of the entrance that he had to, into heaven, this abundant entrance into heaven, glory, it's just the, 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 the cheers and the songs and, and the rejoicing. But more than that, I think of the men and the women who have prayed fervently for the Crusades over all those years. Someone in the background, you don't even know their name. They're going to have just as an abundant entrance into, into heaven. Because it's not about how much you've done or how popular you became. It's about how faithful you were to do the things that God has actually called you to do. Listen, folks, all truly born-again Christians are going to end up in heaven. But our capacity to enjoy heaven is going to be based on our faithfulness to do that which God has called us to do. I heard this great illustration about this. He says, when we get to heaven, our lives are going to be like containers. We will all be filled to overflowing, but some will be the size of Dixie cups, some will be the size of 32-ounce supersized cups, while others will be the size of 55-gallon drums. Man, I want to be a 55-gallon drum in heaven, not on earth, you know. But in the same way, all of us, we're going to receive crowns. And, and I think, you know, we're going to receive crowns for what we've done here on this earth in serving the Lord, for how faithful we were to the Lord. Now, I think some of those crowns, they're not going to have very many jewels in them. Some of them are going to have maybe some little tiny, teeny jewels, and others are just going to be covered in jewels. I want mine covered. Why? Because I want to be able to lay it at the feet of my Savior, at my Lord, and thank Him for what He's done for me. Do you want to have an abundance entrance? Then take the resources that God has lavishly supplied for you and use them. Put your faith into action. The faith that leads to growth and growth that leads to practical results in life and service of God's people. I want to close with this and we'll enter into a time of communion because I think sometimes, you know, as we're, we're fighting this fight, as we're walking this walk, we can get discouraged and we think, oh man, this is hard. Lord, are we ever going to make it to heaven? Well, listen to this story. It's about a man who decided to go across the Atlantic Ocean. A lot of people have tried to sell that, and they've done it. But what makes this so remarkable was that this was the smallest boat ever to attempt to cross the Atlantic Ocean. It was just 13 feet long. Could you imagine that? About the size of a, as a surfboard. The, the man called it Tinkerbell. His name was Robert Manry. It took him 78 days to do this. He said that his rudder broke several times. He was washed overboard several times, and sometimes in the shipping lanes it was so bad that he said, I could not sleep, I had to stay awake for several days because it was too dangerous. And he would take rope and he would bind himself to the boat so he would stay on the boat. Seventy-eight days later he could see the shores of England. The only thing that went through his mind was, I need a hotel room, I need a shower, and I need to sleep for a week or so. He was so discouraged and so tired. But as he's nearing the shore... He noticed that there were 300 other boats sitting out there walking, walking him home. And when he got to the shore, there were 40,000 people in the crowd cheering him on for making the journey successfully. At that moment, he didn't think about how tired he was. He didn't think about, about how discouraged he was. He didn't think about a shower. He felt so good. Listen, 
we're almost home. We're almost home. And when we get to heaven, it's going to be an abundant, abundant uh, rejoicing in heaven. And, and, and listen, when you stand in heaven and that crowd goes, crown goes on your head and you hear the cheers and the crowd of others that are already there, I mean, you'll never regret the hours that you spent in Bible study or prayer or sharing your faith or helping other people to grow in their knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and building them up. You're not going to regret that. You never will. For the joy that was set before Him, the joy that is set before us, our Savior, to be with Him forever. Hang in there. Don't give up. Apply these things to our lives and we'll have an abundant entrance. Finally, we've been talking about the things that God has given to us to live this Christian life in this world. But let me say this. If you're not a believer here this morning, you haven't taken the first step. If you don't have the faith in Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can't add any of this onto your life because the first step isn't there. You need to turn from your sin, turn to Jesus Christ, admit you're a sinner, ask Him to forgive you, and He will cleanse you of all your sin, and you can be born again. And you can add these things to your life. His Holy Spirit will come and dwell inside of you. He'll give you the power to live for Him, the power to turn from sin, and the power to live holy lives. If you've not done that here this morning, before we enter into communion, communion is a time for believers to gather together to celebrate what Jesus Christ did for us. Going to the cross, dying for our sins, taking his penalty, our penalty of sin upon himself. So if you're not a believer here this morning, then as we pass out the elements and you don't want to come to Christ, then I would say, let it pass by you. It's not for someone who doesn't want to know that the Lord is their Savior. But here's a better option. Give your life to Jesus Christ this morning. Surrender your life to Him. Tell the Lord you're sorry for your sin. Commit your life to Him and He will come in. And He'll forgive you and you can be born again today and you can partake with us this morning. Let me say this also. Communion is a time where we examine our hearts and see where we're at. And check ourselves. You know, examine ourselves. You know, and that's what the Bible says. We need to examine our hearts. Lord, as I look to the cross, as I look at what you did to, to forgive me of my sin, if I've been living in sin, if I added more sins that you had to die for upon that cross, then Lord, I need to confess that. I need to tell the Lord I'm sorry and ask that forgiveness and turn from it. So it's great to enter communion because we look to our Lord to remember what he's done for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. Lord, first and foremost, I want to pray for anyone here that maybe they've not surrendered their hearts and lives to you. They've not come to Jesus and asked for the forgiveness of their sin. They're not yet born again. Lord, would you especially touch their heart today that they would see their need for you and they would turn to you this morning. That they would have, you would give them the faith to take that step to surrender their hearts to you. To say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. Forgive me. I commit my life to you. Lord, I pray as we prepare our hearts for communion, that as believers, Lord, you'd search our hearts. Show us, is there any wicked way in us, Lord, that we need to confess? We know your word says, if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, Lord. We love you so much. Thank you for this time. We ask you to bless it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.